the RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. And you are very welcome along to this week's RTE Rugby Podcast on URC Final Week. No Irish team in it for the first time since 2007. It's going to be the Stormers against the Bulls this Saturday in Cape Town. That's live on RTE 2 and RTE Player but also the Irish squad for this summer's three-test series against New Zealand and those two games against the Maori as well uh, was announced yesterday by Andy Farrell, a 40-man squad. And here to talk about it, we have Eddie O'Sullivan. Eddie, how are you today? Great, thanks. And we also have Fiona Hayes, who I believe is so angry about Jack O'Donoghue now <laughs> that she hasn't even gone to bed since yesterday. That's, true, Fiona. That's exactly true, Neil. You're on the money there, on the money. All right. Well, look, we'll get straight into the on the Irish squad. It's a 40-man group, five uncapped players in it. Jimmy O'Brien, Kieran Frawley, Joe McCarthy from Leinster, Jeremy Lockman from Munster, and Keen Prendergast from Connacht. Um, before we get the thoughts of Fiona and Eddie, we'll hear from Ireland head coach Andy Farrell. I was speaking to him yesterday. So, so just to get started, I'm just to get your, your immediate thoughts. 40-man squad, I imagine... It was tough to nail it down in the end, I would say. And are you just pleased, I suppose, with, with the balance across the, the 40 you have? Oh, yeah. No, we're, we're delighted. We're, we're so excited about um, um, taking this squad as a group of 40 to, um, you know, probably the hardest place in world rugby to go to and finding out about ourselves. You know, this is a historic tour that probably will never be done again, certainly with how we've um, structured the tour. Um, maybe Ireland will never get to play a, a, a three-game uh, test series out there again. And, you know, this is the ultimate, isn't it? We're talking about building now towards a World Cup. And um, he, what you want to do in those type of circumstances is, is, is test yourself against the best. And it doesn't get any better or tougher than uh, going to New Zealand and playing them in their own backyard, uh, backyard after, with uh, what we see as five test matches. And just finally for me then, have you spoken to any of the, the players who, who just missed the cut or or will you be speaking to any of those players? And how hard was it, I suppose, then to just nail down those those last few places? Yeah, no, there's plenty of conversations that have been happening over the last few days. And uh, like always, it's tough, you know, because um, they all wanted to make the tour. Um, it was all... I'm 100% sure within the goals of the season to to um, to perform well enough to get on this tour because they can see what it means to Irish rugby and they want to be part of it. You know, we've we've picked out a 40-man uh, squad, which is the biggest squad that we've that we've picked um, because of the the schedule, etc. And they know the, the the players that have missed out and the and, and the injured players and the guys who have been picked as well that this is the opportunity to show what they're about under under the most extreme pressure to see whether um they can perform at the highest level and and see whether they earn the right to carry on into next year which is which is obviously the world cup year eddie i'll come to you first off the back of the irish squad We'll we'll get obviously to the to the players who were left out because I think it's it just inevitably happens and I'm sure you know that all too well from your time coaching Ireland yeah. that when you name a squad that you think is absolutely fantastic it's the one thing people want to talk about is the players who aren't in it but we'll talk about the players who are in it first of all what do you, what do you make of it what are the inclusions in there not even just the uncapped guys what are the inclusions in there you like what is it about the squad you like the balance of it overall yeah I I think well. There's things to like about it and things to worry about. Things I like about it is, I suppose, there's a bit of stability there. The, the guys you'd expect to get in and are in. 
Um, there's no major shocks in the front liners. There's nobody like the guys that are not there that should have been probably there were basically injured. So Carty's out, Balakum, uh, Keller would have had a safe if he was fit, Andrew Conway if he was fit. So they're they're out. So that's because they're injured. So the one thing I probably would a little concerned about is the numbers. He's you no. Know, He's got basically he's got 40 players going. That's a lot of players on a tour, don't get me wrong. Uh, but he's got five games and effectively, you know, in, in the space of three weeks or three and a half weeks. The logistics of that are very tricky because um, if you think about a game where you're playing the Maoris on a Wednesday and you have a test on a Saturday, like you're trying to get ready two teams in the same week for two games, which is very unusual. You don't do that anymore as a test coach. Usually if you're playing on a weekend, you're spent the whole week getting ready for that. And you see guys are going to double up uh, in terms of covering the bench. And, and, you know, so I think that's the logistics. Are not, no, it's not, it's not that it can't be done, but it makes life very tricky and very difficult, you know. But, okay, that's the light of land, and I kind of knew that. But I, I just a little bit worried that if they're unlucky with injuries, they might be shy very quickly. Uh, you know, I know they're okay probably going out, on, you know, but once you get two or three games into the tour, like, you know, if, if they get injuries in certain quarters, it could be quite skinny. And the guys he's brought are, are he's got some new faces, which is always great on a tour, but they're very inexperienced, you know. So there's a risk in that for him. You know, I know he's calculated that risk, but I, I think 40 players is, I, I would I would have been happier in terms of giving himself more cover if he had another two or three guys on the play. And I know it's a lot, but, you know, when you think you have to, you have to suit up 23 players for each game, uh, and uh, the front row cover, like they've got, they've got six props, uh, which is effectively very little cover. You know, because you've got specialists, you've got three tight heads. So if a tight head gets injured, you're down to two tight heads straight away. So things like that, you know. And the same with the hookers. Three hookers, one hooker gets a knock. It could be a dead leg, you know, for a week with a dead leg, and you're down. And then you've the, you've the, you've the problem. Then is you know, do, do I try and get a guy out, or is your man going to be ready? So I think he's given himself a. The combination of the you know, having two games in a week is a challenge, and then he's a little bit short numbers. Now, if he doesn't get injuries, if the injuries, you know, I think he could be okay. But it, I think he's putting us under pressure there, you know. And I think he could have brought more. But anyway, that's my thought. But I think all the guys that are in, you'd expect them in, and the guys who missed out um, in terms of the injuries, some of them would have certainly been. I think Balakone would have been in, you know, for sure. Um, um, I think probably Jack Carty has missed the tour because of their hand injury. But look, it's, there's no real shocks there, except when you get into the nitty gritty. And I think he's bought a couple of cap players there, or uncapped players, sorry, that, you know, probably a more experienced guy you might have expected on the plane. Um, but, uh, and I know we're going to get into the guys who are left out, but I, I wouldn't have too many, as I say, I wouldn't be baking about that too much. Uh, but uh, I'm sure a few of us a few bakes there. <laughs> But I think, yeah, I, I, there's one one, there's one particular one I would look at. No, I, I, I think, I, I, I feel, I thought McCluskey should have made the tour. Yeah, and obviously, like we were, we were talking about him last week. I, I was gonna, yeah, because you were yeah. obviously so, so your praise of him. It was clear you're a big fan of him. Is this obviously? Again. Is Kieran Frawley being there? Is this? Is if it's a 42 man squad or if it's a 40 yeah. man squad, is he inclined yeah. to maybe bring that extra body? Whereas mm-hmm. if it's a 40 man squad, is Kieran Frawley there to cover? He's covering centre. He can go in and out half if needed. Andy Farrell mentioned yesterday that he spent part of the game against the Bulls playing at full back. So Stuart McCluskey is more your out and out number 12. 
Yeah, no, just there's two ways to look at it. One is, I thought McCluskey again was outstanding last weekend for Ulster. He was, again, a huge catalyst in the game. So the guy, there's no argument that the guy is right up there. He's right in the, in the firing line in terms of getting getting on the tour. Um, I think that's fine. I, I see. I actually, I take his point on board. You know, uh, I do take his point on board um, about uh, bringing someone like, we say, Frawley, who can play across the line. But Frawley is uncapped. You know, if you're bringing a guy who can play across the line, it's 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 much safer if he's if he's experienced. But let's say Frawley has to go into a test game now in any position, whether it's out half, full back, or centre. You know, if the if the chips fall that way uh, in the last week of the tour, and you've got a Frawley's your utility guy, and you've got to put him in there um, because he's the last man standing kind of thing, you put an uncapped player maybe into a test game. You know, so that's the risk in it. And I understand why you brought Frawley. I think Frawley's been outstanding. And, and probably Frawley's problem going forward in his career is what's he want to be? Does he want to be a 10? Does he want to be a 12? Or does he want to be a full-back? You know, but that's probably early days. But he probably has to make soon. But yeah, I understand why he brought him. Um, but I, 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 yeah, I, I feel bad for McCluskey that he's where he is and he doesn't get the nod. And it might, that's why I think maybe if he took a couple of more guys, um, fellas like McCluskey might have got in. But anyway, look, that's... We're all, we're all in semantics here. You don't know. I mean, but I understand why you brought Foley, um, for sure. Um, I mean, Jimmy O'Brien is another one, and I can see that again. But, you know, you can argue the case at the end of the day that that um, Joey Carberry can play fullback as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Jordan Larimer has history at fullback. So Jimmy O'Brien might be a bit of a luxury there, you know. And again, he's uncapped. He's been good for, he's been good for, uh, for Leinster. But um, yeah, I mean they're they're all up for debate. But I, I'm not saying they're wrong decisions because it's very easy to be playing, you know, one day morning quarterback about things, and it's easy to be making out these decisions. You know, why didn't you do this when you're there? Because I've been in there myself, and he's a reason for doing it. But they're just tossed across your mind uh, when you put uncapped players in those positions going on tour. Um, you I mean I think he wants to use those uncapped players in, in the Maori games, sure, give him experience. But you don't want to be throwing him into a test game in New Zealand for the first cap. That's a that's a hell of a, a leap for him, you know. But anyway, look, that's that's my diatribe on it, you know. I'm sure Fiona's got something else to say. <laughs> yeah, and Fiona, like like I know I was joking at the start, obviously, because Jack O'Donoghue is probably one of the the main players people had spoken about in the last few months as as being someone who should be involved in the squad. But like Eddie was making the good point, you like. When you want to, when you want to say, you know, player X should get in, whether it's Stuart McCluskey mm. or it's Jack O'Donoghue or Ross Maloney, it's hard to look at the squad and say who shouldn't be in there out of, you know, that list of back rows or that list of centres. Yeah, no, that's that's spot on, Neil, because that's the question people follow up with: who would you take off who with? So, of? I mean, you're, <laughs> you're sitting there silent, not really prepared to to throw anyone under the bus. Yeah, well, that's it. And look, everyone, to be fair, deserves their spot. There's been some great performers you view. Uh, we've talked about Frawley. These guys have put their hand up um, playing week in, week out. But I suppose with that Jack O'Donoghue point, it's like, what more does he have to do? Um, he's just one monster player this season. I thought he's been outstanding. I know... I personally think him, and it's not his fault getting injured for the last two games, came at a disadvantage to him because you're kind of out of sight, out of mind. And if he'd put in, even if Munster had lost, but he'd put in a massive shift against uh, Ulster in that game, I think he'd have to be in it more so in Andy Farrell's thoughts. Um, I, I agree 100% with Eddie. When I saw it, I was wondering, could we not have brought a couple more? You're going across the world. You get it. You've hookers in there. You, you get one of them is injured. Then you've two guys 
playing if he's injured the first game you'll obviously fly someone out but you've two guys that have been training and know the systems that are going in that will have to play all the games then from them although you might bring someone out so it's just it there could have been scope for a couple more players especially with those five games um that's that's the way I'm feeling but with the players in there you know you've bared he's he he, he's an outstanding player. We know what he's what he can offer. He's down as a back row. I, I'd love to have seen him in the second rows and maybe uh, get Jack there in the back row. Um, but look, it's 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 a it's a good it's a good squad. Props uh, is another area Eddie spoke about, and um, I think we'll get to see a lot of these guys. They haven't performed maybe outstandingly well scrum wise towards the latter end of the season. Um, and I know going with their with the provinces, and I know going into this Ireland tour, they'll get a chance. To, to fix that um, obviously it's not the same uh, power as that South African front row or, or, or sometimes that English pack that you play against but I, I think it's good for these guys to go over and, and Lachman especially it'll be, it'll be really good to see him maybe if it's only in the, the Maori games but it'd be good to see him get game time under his bent at that in, international level but there's definitely a, a scope for, for a few players to chat about not being on the plane but everyone loves to talk about that don't they yeah, and and feel like of the of the five uncapped guys who are there, do do you see any of them getting getting game time in any of the three test matches, or do do you think that they're going to be playing the bulk of their rugby in those two games against the Maori? But is there is there any of that five between Jimmy O'Brien, Frawley, Joe McCarthy, Lockman, Keen Prendergast, anyone there that you think could actually be on the field in one of those three tests against the All Blacks? I actually think if it, depending on injury, if there was a slight injury, I think Hume would be one of the first players into the centre. I, I think personally on the way he's playing, um, his footwork, I think Farrell's a big fan of him. So, on, on who's there now, injury-free, probably not, these guys, but they, you might get them on the bench. I think Prendergast, it all depends on how they travel over, how they're training over. You know, Farrell is open to giving guys a, 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 definitely a shot, Um, maybe not in that first test, but as it goes on, you might see these guys getting their starting spot or, or even jumping onto the bench and coming on fairly uh, uh, new into the second half. Eddie, on just the, the nature of, like... Touring New Zealand. Andy Farrell mentioned yesterday that it's it's basically the it's the toughest place, the most iconic place to, to go on a tour. You obviously had a couple. I was looking back today this morning. You'd a couple of New Zealand and Australia tours in there. You didn't mm. quite get like the full three test experience that they have now, but you had a couple of there, two thousand two and two thousand six, where you had multiple games down in New Zealand. And it's funny, like you're talking about the squad size. I was looking at yours. You'd uh, twenty seven in two thousand two and twenty nine. In 2006, <laughs> you're adding another 11 in on top of this now, yeah. and we're talking about how it might even be enough. Well, I remember uh, the Lions tour 2005, the famous uh, Lions tour that didn't go particularly well. Yeah. Uh, Clyde Woodrow picked 44 players for that yeah. tour. Now, that was a full-on tour. It was Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. There was three tests. There was a Maori's. It was a full-on old-school tour. He picked 44, and there was pandemonium over it. So how do you bring 44 people? Uh, you know, so how the game has changed, and, and again, like, yeah, trying to get 30 guys on tour that time was always problems because the the actual logistics are, and I, I, I'm presuming it's still the same as when you tour a country, the, the host country pays the, the bills for when you're in country, they pay your, your accommodation, your meals, your travel, all that. So, the more players you bring, the more it costs. Now, there's been debates and there's been, you know, uh, I suppose negotiations on that over the years. But um, back then, you know, if you wanted extra players in a tour, well, it was always costing the RFU. Mm-hmm. So you're always getting squeezed on the numbers you could bring. And, and 
like you think about it now going down to, to New Zealand with 20 odd players, like there's a, there's a fairly high risk strategy. And we nearly won in Dunedin, a famous night in Dunedin when uh, the famous lemon ball that was kicked around and Raj couldn't get his, his foot around it. And we lost that game by a whisker. Um, and then 2006, we had a practically good tour. We were, we were in really good shape in Hamilton. Uh, and we lost the game in the last, that last 10 minutes. Um, kind of our discipline of us down the second half, and, and the same with another good barn burner in, in, in Auckland. So we've, we, we were close enough a couple of times. But the thing about a tour in New Zealand is that you're probably your best chance for test when is your first test because they are coming out fresh and they tend to get better as the series goes on. And um, the only thing I said, I, I, they're under a bit of pressure as well in New Zealand. Like if you listen to the kind of the cockpit chatter in New Zealand around the game, is they, the general feeling is, as a team, they have kind of plateaued. They haven't been evolving their game. Um, and I suppose the, the shellacking they got in Aviva Stadium last November certainly hasn't reassured anyone in New Zealand that they're World Cup material, in their view. Uh, so I think it's the coaching staff more than that. And there's not much pressure on the players in terms of that, they, there's, you know, that he could make a massive number of changes in the squad. But I think the pressure's on the coaching staff to get a, a really comprehensive win over Ireland in the Test Series. I still think I still back is maybe take a test, probably the first one if it's going to be one. Um, but if we were to win the series, even you know, if we won two of the three tests, it'd be absolute carnage in New Zealand after that because they're under pressure in terms of where they are in the world pecking order now. You know, they they feel a little bit vulnerable, and we are after all less than 18 months of a World Cup. So I think they're going to come out swinging. Uh, and um, you'd be very, you'd be very wary of a wounded New Zealand, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, and and you know the form is at this. You know, they, they, they pretty much still, despite everything, have dominated the Super Rugby Series as well. Yeah. So, like, they're not in a bad place, but they, the point is the pressure's on them from the New Zealand public who demand a lot. And uh, I think the New Zealand public feel that this team needs to move forward in terms of their evolution as a team. And that's putting pressure on them. So, there'll be no, and, and of course, they, they're still smarting from, from November. Let's not forget about that. Like, they, they got a good spanking. Like, th- th- in November was probably. Like we've beaten them a couple, you know, we've beaten them a couple times now, but that was a very comprehensive victory mm-hmm. over them. There was no if, buts, or maybes. We just beat them well on the day, and uh, they had no complaints. There was no if this, if that. So I think they're they'll come out swinging, and, and I think there's going to be like a pretty much a New Zealand storm coming at us. So I think we're ready for it. You know, if everyone's healthy and we can bring our farm from the Six Nations, we we'll be fine. But uh, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, and with that as well, um, Eddie, watching Super Rugby, I mean, I know he's an exceptional player, but Bowden Barris is in the form of his life as well. He's playing outstanding rugby at the minute. You've Caleb Clark, another guy who's who's playing really well. So I think players that weren't in form before are starting to come into a bit of form. Obviously, they've played their Super Rugby and and you've two New Zealand teams in the final, but um, you'd definitely be wary of, um, that's if if they play Bowden at 10, but you'd definitely be wary of him at the minute. He's, that's the big debate on, isn't it? Whether they mm. play Barrett at 10 or Richie Monga. You know, they, they're not even sure themselves. Now, for us, we're pretty clear who our 10 is. Just Sorry, Sexton. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is an interesting one because, like, here we are 18 months over World Cup and we have Johnny again. As this is saying in, in America, here comes Johnny. Uh, you know, um, but, but the thing is, like, the worrying thing there as well for us, if we're just talking about the, 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 the kind of chinks maybe in... in, in where Farrell is looking at down the track is Johnny Sexton is our 10. But in fairness, um, I just think that Joey Carberry's lost his mojo a bit for whatever reason, between injuries and maybe Munster's form has been patchy. 
Um, and then, you know, Jack Carty's injured. Harry Bourne is up next. So again, you know, he seems to have kind of plateaued in terms of his form. Um, so there isn't really a nailed on backup for Johnny. Like Carberry was the man, but he need, and I've no doubt he's capable. He just, you'd love to see him playing more to his form. And then there's the full back position, you know, you know, uh, Hugo Keenan, fine. Lowry has one cap. He's picked up an injury. Uh, and now you're looking at Jimmy O'Brien as the backup, you know, um, those two key positions are still a warrior. I'd say they're the two positions maybe keeping uh, Farrell awake at night. He's losing any sleepover because they're key positions and there's really not much depth there uh, or proven depth, you know. But I suppose you could argue Joey is proven depth, Joey Harbury, but his form is off. So they're two areas. Watch, see what he'll do. Like, will, I, I, I suspect for sure um, he's going to have to give Joey a start against the Maori's minimum. You know, that's going to be the first game. Uh, and if, if he gets his form back, great. But if he's struggling, then that happens to Johnny gets a knock and a test or Joey has to come off the bench after 10 or 15 minutes. You know, now there you've got you've got you've got problems to solve, you know. So they're the kind of things to be watching in the for the long term is where are we with 10 and 15? I think they're the things he's probably worried most about. And with that, Eddie, do you think there would have been a case to have Zebo in the squad just, you know, for that cover? Because obviously we saw, I'm not saying, but Jimmy O'Brien probably didn't have his best game at fullback at the weekend. And, you know, and we saw Keenan is a huge loss. And I suppose someone like Zebo has been around the block, he's been capped. But I know that's, that's that well, question again. Again, in terms of cover, that you're right. It's a, that's a good point because Zebo would cover wing, no problem, and fullback. He's got that pedigree of he can play in the back three, anywhere in the back three. Um, and his form's been very good for Munster. He scored a bundle of tries. So you'd have thought that, yeah, if you're traveling that far from home and you could be going down the, 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 the depth chart, again, there's a case for him being a, a guy you could bank on in a tight spot, you know? Uh, like if you're going into the last test uh, of the tour and you've, you've, you know, you've, got, you've got walking wounded all over the place. And the other thing is you have to remember about it, a, a tour like this, this is our end of season tour and the end of season part's important. Because a lot of these guys are fit and healthy, but they're all probably carrying knocks and bumps and bruises, and they're all fatigued. There's a bit of fatigue there as well. No, we're better than most countries when it comes to that because we manage our players so well, but there's still an element of fatigue. It's a long season. Um, so guys can break down, um, and, and does that, that kind of get those energy levels up? Whereas if you're comparing this like to going to a World Cup with a squad of players, going to a World Cup, everyone, everyone's fresh, you know, everyone's ready to go. It's a different kind of mindset. But your your end of season stuff here, and that's why we as well feel when New Zealand or Australia or South Africa come up here in November, they're that's their end of season tour, and you know they're probably feeling a bit fatigued. So there's the, going to be the fatigue factor as well. I think in this, particularly when you've let's say five games in, in in three and a half weeks, you know. And fee like with expectation levels or confidence levels for yourself, would they have dropped at all in the last few weeks when you see how? how Leinster seasons petered out or how Ulster and Munster seasons eventually just kind of just didn't really hit the heights that we thought they were going to maybe two months ago. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely something that's happened to me. I was uh, looking at the start. I was like thinking we could really go out and cause an upset uh, over Whitewash, New Zealand. 3-0 win. Yeah. <laughs> Whitewash, exactly. <laughs> Just on the form of the players, but it's it's looking at, especially the Leinster team in the last few weeks, just uh, they look tired. Um, Munster, their last game, they look tired. Now, I know Andy Farrell came out and said himself, you know, it's a, it's a different system. It's You can't be looking at the province's games, but you can look at the players and, and, and how their form come into play, you know, 
came into play and how they looked on the pitch. They do have a bit of time time before the game, but I, I certainly wouldn't be as confident. But look, it's it's a chance to go to New Zealanders, guys. Um, they know there's a World, com- uh, World Cup coming up. They'll have a few days rest, a few weeks rest with her, get the body sorted, hopefully. And then we'll probably see them going back out and going hammer for tongs. Whether it can last for the three games is the other question. So I think I'd agree with Eddie on that first game. It's going to be probably the one that they would definitely have a chance of winning. Ironically, some guys might have too much rest. Like, I'm looking one name there, Jim Sullivan, is Bundy Aki. Like, Bundy Aki won't have played for two months before the first test. He didn't even play Connacht's last game in Galway um, against uh, against uh, against uh, Zebra. So for some reason, I think he picked up a knock the previous week, but he's had a long time. With some uh, some guys, like the, the probably the upside for some guys is they're they you know they're not getting on the plane after a final, even though we'd all like to be in the final. There's a bit of a break there, but some fellas have been kind of twiddling their thumbs for a few weeks, you know, and that's not good either because. Like you don't, you don't, you lose your sharpness. So like one, the actually one name that jumps over, he has to start against against That's the Maoris. Has to start for sure. Uh, and then in low, um, Mac Hansen hasn't played a lot either. You know, like the Connacht have been out of the loop for a while. You know, so um, yeah. But I look, that's all by the boy. I think, I think they're, I think they're in a good place. But and I, I would agree. I, I agree that there's an element of. If you understand where the guys form are coming in, or if they've had a couple of setbacks with the province, but the other side, what I think is they they're very good. At, I've noticed this anyway when I was coaching Irish team that they could leave the province behind and draw a line. Mm-hmm. It's a different hat. They plan a different hat when they go with Ireland. So that that the the results and the mood around the provinces wouldn't really dictate what the first couple of days were like in your camp. Yeah, well, well, it's probably would be a bit down and. and in a sense, come like I remember months used to come in off some of those terrible defeats they had, like maybe in Europe, you know. That, those end, uh, of, those end of season ones or the, the big yeah, 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 yeah. But the funny thing is, I've always found players, professional players, is that they have this capacity to, to you know to compartmentalize that stuff and then they pivot away. And this is the next challenge, and it's a green jersey, not a red jersey or a blue jersey, you know, whatever. And they, I, I wouldn't be overly concerned about that. And I think change of scenery as well, you're on a plane, you're in a different country. It's a freshness about it. Um, oh, for me, the thing is, like, we shouldn't be too bad because of our player management system, but it is the end of the season. And you've got, I would say, none of those guys are 100% fit. And I don't mean that as anyone be put on the plane who's injured. It's just that they're all carrying bumps and bruises. And there's mental fatigue as well of long season. Mm-hmm. You know, even, even when you're not playing for your province on the weekend, you're training all the week. You know, it's, it, most of the miles you put up in a rugby season are actually on the training field. You know, like, so you think about it. So there's a lot of miles on the clock at the end of the season. So the fatigue factor is there. But look, I mean, I think if they're lucky with injuries um, and they keep, you know, there's no major crises in any particular department and they they bring the form they've had in the spring and last autumn, you know, when they get to New Zealand, I think, they, I, I really believe they can win at least one test. You know, I think it's there from, but, um, but that's, I, I think that's they, they all know that so that's their mindset going out there that'll be I think that means I think he's going to get off to a good start like the fellas are going to be on the plane they're going to be thinking yeah we'll go here and win a test like we've never won in New Zealand mm. you know we've never won a test in New Zealand I've, consider, as, as you literally just said considering we've never won a game in New Zealand would I'm trying to like you're trying to quantify what, what is a successful tour and obviously you want to win a test series but for example, if Ireland were to lose a test series 2-1 to, 
they get one victory against the one victory in the in the test and two two respectable enough defeats and like you know no hammerings or anything yeah. like that and get some nice minutes into the legs for the inexperienced guys in those Maori games and get a couple of decent results. Would that would that quantify a pretty decent return a year out from a World Cup? I think it'd be excellent. We could have that. It's so powerful, you know. I mean, I'm trying to think when's the last time New Zealand lost a test series to anybody in New, in New Zealand, including the Lions, you know. Like, they're, they're, they drew the last line series, and that was very controversial. Mm. Uh, but, like, it's a very, very difficult place to get a result. Now, the one thing in our favour, and this has been a kind of a change, I, I, I don't have the stats off the top of my head, but I remember looking up before, is one of the reasons we're now, like, able to match New Zealand and, and take them toe-to-toe and, and maybe beat them on a day, um, apart from the fact we, we, we've got a very good squad of players at the moment, that's, 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 that's a major factor. But we play New Zealand a lot more often. Mm. That's, if we forget that. Like, I, I remember looking back before, before 2000, I think we played New Zealand like a handful of times in the previous 100 years. You know, we've nearly played them more in the last 20 years than we played in the previous I 100. I can tell you now, actually, I had it in front of me here. Up until, up until 2000... Ireland have played New Zealand 14 times and they've yeah. played them 22 times since. There you go. So the oh, no, they've played them 19. They, 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 yeah. By the end of this summer, they'll have played them 22 times. But I mean, 19 is against what? What was the first? 14. 14. So we still, we played them more in the last 20 years than we played them in the previous 100. Mm. You know, so if you think about it, Australia play New Zealand two or three times a year. So now they don't beat New Zealand that often and they do enjoy beating them. But they don't they don't see it as a major milestone in the history of their, their Australian rugby to beat New Zealand. Why? Because they play them so often. So the more you play these teams, the better chance you have of because it's it, it, it's I just actually I, I wouldn't have said we played them 19 times, I would have said about 14 or 15, but I was thinking it was fairly even the last 20 years the fleet is 120, you know. Like it's 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 it, that's a factor for sure. So like it is common, like we all thought when are we going to beat New Zealand for the first time? We got it done in Chicago. We've done it in Dublin. You know, now the next step is can we do it in New Zealand? You know, and it's, it's definitely possible. If things go our way here in terms of injuries and form and we have a good day out, I, I think we'll take a test. But I, if we were to win the series down there, it would be a phenomenal achievement. Like, because New Zealand don't lose test series at home. You know, the closest they came was the Lions draw. If, if, our, if Ireland were to win a test series, are you in the back of your head... Having that little oh god, are we peaking too early all over again? Yeah, I know. Yeah, New Zealand did it for years. Like I think New Zealand were on fire two years out from every World Cup. Uh, after the like, they were two. They were on fire two years out for the ninety one World Cup, the ninety five World Cup, the ninety nine World Cup. They were on fire two years out, and then they got got caught in the World Cup. You know, that's the irony of it. Yeah. I remember when they when they beat us in 2005 in Dublin, they had just butchered the lines in all five. Then yeah. they came, they they destroyed Wales and Cardiff. Then they made, I think, 14 changes and destroyed us in Dublin. You know, like, and that was that was the that, and then the all seven World Cup, they were knocked out. You know, in Cardiff by France. You know, so yeah, they 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 know they they know that tune pretty well. You know, but uh, look, if we were to win a Test series. I take it and say let's let's make sure we're not peaking too early in Well, while we're while we're on the t- while we're on the topic of peaking too early, what happened Leinster on Friday night against the Bulls? Oh gosh, you could go into a lot of you could go into a lot of different things. You know, people was talked there, about. Was there an element of com- was there an element of complacency in it? If you look at the the team selection, you're talking about a semi final. Johnny Sexton, I know he's coming back from injury, but 
you've Johnny Sexton, the Irish captain, and you're putting him on the bench. You've Hugo Keenan, who again I know is coming back from injury, but he's the first choice Irish fullback, and you have him as a as a travelling reserve on the day. Like, is there is there an element of complacency? Is there is there a little bit of truth in that? No, I don't think so. I think he backed you. You've seen with Leo, you know, he's used these 60 players. You've seen that these guys have used them throughout the URC for the whole season. So I think he backed the players that had played previously well and they had played well. I know you can't take anything from that Glasgow game. You know, it was an absolute hammering, but I wouldn't say complacency is, is the word. I I personally would have liked to, if he was fully fit, I would have liked to see Hugo Keenan on the bench because he could have come on. You saw Jim O'Brien was struggling a little bit at times you know he's he's played more at wing that's probably the reason behind that and he would have cut he would have came on and added a bit more composure back there and probably added a lot more in attack as well but look I I I just I think in general you're talking about this Leinster squad I I don't know if it was complacent but they just didn't look themselves they did they looked tired um I I wouldn't even say it was the big South African power game I just thought the errors that that uh, Leinster had were absolutely crazy. You, the likes of Caelan Doris gave away five penalties. I mean, that's that's unheard of of him. You know, there was just everything seemed to go against him, um, and they didn't have it in their armor because. When it comes to these tight games and into the last few minutes, they seem to be losing these games. They don't seem to have it in their armour. Um, that's a question they'll have to go back and look at. Is it because they're not being challenged really throughout the season? And when it comes to the end of the season, um, they don't know how to cope with that. But we definitely, we saw Johnny come on. I mean, um, I think, you know, we saw him come on in the second half and he added a bit something. If he'd started, maybe it might have been a, a different ball game. But look, we knew, you know what this Bulls team, I mean, some of the, the stats when I looked at the game, you're, I was looking at it afterwards trying to figure out what areas. Leinster seemed to be dominant in all areas. They had more metres, rent, they had everything. But I just thought it was interesting. One of the stats that jumped out at me was um, passes that... Byrne and Sexton had together 26 passes and Chris Smith and Mornay Stain when he came on for the last seven minutes throughout the whole game had three passes so so it shows you exactly what the, they kept it narrow the Bulls they they used their pack well and I suppose Leinster have to go back to the drawing board and see can they change their game plan mid-game and cope with that Is there something in that Eddie that the Leinster that they're just they're not too familiar being in these close games and it is where they, they seem to struggle like I oh. I ran the numbers on it earlier in the week. I think they'd seven or eight games this season that were one score matches. And yeah, I think, I th- I think yeah. they lost they lost all but two of those. I I, I go back to uh, the Johnny Sexton selection or non-selection. I think that was a big mistake. I think they should have put him on the field. Uh, I I don't want to say they were complacent. I think they maybe underestimated what was coming down the pike. I think there was along the lines of what Leo Cullen was saying as well. He actually, without even being asked, was it complacency? He he said, I don't think complacency is the right word, but so <laughs> I think. Yeah, I, I think they were got there. You see, there's a bit of a pattern here. If you yeah. look at the Heineken Cup final as well, like everybody knows that if you let Leinster play the game they want to play, you know, the run and gun game, the spots out the back, the, the multiple carriers, the tip on passes, and you let them do that, like it's going to be a long day at the office. So that's, and what you do, if you, if you look at it, if, you, if you're, if I'm plotting Leinster's downfall tomorrow, like the first thing I go after is like, I slow the game down. Mm. I attack the rook relentlessly. I just, you know, upset their, upset their tempo. And that's what you saw last weekend. Again, Brother Sheldon hung in there. The Bulls upset their tempo. 
Um, like Fiona's right, like the, the, the amount of turnovers Leinster had was appalling. Like, I mean, they had 16. I count, I went through the game again, you know, minute by minute. There's 16 turnovers, hmm. eight in each half, they had 10 knock-ons and six balls lost in contact. <clears throat> the first ball they lost in contact is Robbie Henshaw got stripped one meter from the Bulls goal line in the first two minutes. And that was that set the tone for the day. So the problem here for Leinster is what they I think it goes back to the point you just made. They get it's so easy during the season. Like they just cruise through games. They they rack up points on teams and they basically run the bench when it's it's kind of sunshine rugby time. So there's two problems to that. One is when the bench come on, they're just playing like demonstration rugby, just like a training session. When you come off the bench in a in a in a game where you're behind, it's a different ball game altogether. So the, the bench aren't used to coming off, coming on and trying to change a game. They're usually coming on to put the you know the cherry on the cake. How do you how do you fix that? Because that that's it sounds like something that is very very difficult to fix. Well, it's, well there's two, the, the problem they have is, like, is some of it's out of their control because yeah. they're so good in the URC. Um, they're so good in the URC that you know you can't blame them for beating teams by forty points. That's they're good enough. But I, I I think where they take control is they have got to identify that when you get into knockout rugby, it's not the same thing. When, the, when there's no bonus point at the end of the day, mm. you know, why are you turning down kicks and front of the post? Like, it's a different headset. It's knockout rugby. You know, stay, even if things are going badly, stay as a, make it a one-score game. That's what Lara Shell did. Lara Shell were drowning at times in the final against Leinster. They were down to 14 men. They just hung on and hung on and hung on. They made it a one-score game in the last 10 minutes, and they got a break, and they won the game. Like, like Leinster were two scores down. And they had multiple chances to make it a one-score game by kicking a penalty, and they put it into the corner and lost the lineouts. You know, and, and and they couldn't make it a one-score game until it was too late. So I think that's knockout rugby, and they've got to make that adjustment. Plus the fact when you're Leinster, you know you're the favourite. What's the other team going to do? They're going to come in and rattle your cage. Now I'm not talking about they're going to punch you in the face. That's not going to happen anymore. That's one way of rattling someone's cage in the old days. A monster cup match retaliated first. Back in the eighties, you know, in a monster senior cup match, fine, uh, you retaliate first. But uh, you know, in these games, you've got to do is what are they, what are going to do? Well, Leinster had to expect them to attack the rough, bring physicality to breakdown, try and break their tempo. And like Gay quite said it after the game, all week they talk about slowing monster, slowing Leinster down, attacking the rough. So Leinster go out and they run the same attacking pattern they run against the Dragons. Or they run against that's successful against the Scarlets or successful against Edinburgh. And if they go, what could go wrong here? Well, lots of things can go wrong when the rook ball is a five-second rock instead of a two-second rock. And they they probably needed to recalibrate what they were doing. Maybe maybe some different players, maybe more resources to the rock, put more people into the rock, uh, not expect to get the ball as easily with a two-man clean out, they might need a three-man clean out. And they got caught again. They, and no. That's that's the first thing, you know, everyone has a plan to get punched in the mouth. But no, they had a chance to recalibrate during the game. They didn't recalibrate during the game either. So they they got caught, I think, a bit cold that this is not what rugby and guys are going to come after you and try and eat your lunch. And then if it does go wrong, what are we going to do about it? And the same happened in the, in the Heineken Cup final. They, they went out with a plan. You know, it's worked all season. It didn't work. They have to adjust. So I think they need to recalibrate what they're doing around knockout rugby that's the key 
like because it's a different ball game. And we, we talk about Ulster as well. Ulster made a couple of strategic errors like that as well in not accepting it was a knockout rugby match. So the, I think, you know, for me, the, I understand why they put the ball to the corner, Leinster, instead of kicking the points. But the point was there were two scores down. They should have made it one score down, I think. And it, there was no bonus point by getting four tries. I wasn't going to say just- but just on that on that part, Eddie, so I'll let you in in a second if you want. Just on that point, like was was part of the criticism after the La Rochelle game was that they started playing three, six, nine, twelve rugby rather than backing themselves and go and going for those scores. No, because I, I I don't I don't I wouldn't agree with that because against La Rochelle they were they were they were smarter in terms of staying of, of trying to edge away from La Rochelle. They played a bit more like club rugby, but tactically. In La Rochelle, they got caught. They they, they recognised it after a while it's, against La Rochelle. I'm just here, like like you wouldn't have an issue with that La Rochelle game that they were just they were chipping over the points. No, I think they were doing the right thing. It was a that's, final. Yeah, it was a final. But I think where they got caught was that they need to ask them why could they not play their game because La Rochelle were killing them at the breakdown. Mm-hmm. You know they needed to address the breakdown there rather than the, they were smart enough not to force the running game when they weren't when they weren't getting the dividends. I I'd no problem with that, but I think last weekend. For some reason, they kind of they try to play their game, and I think there was an element of that if we keep doing this, we're going to win because it, it works every week. But it's not every week in an knockout game, and I guess for the Bulls got them. They the Bulls got to them physically, got in there, and and Leinster didn't adjust around the intensity of, an, of knockout rugby, you know. And like it's it's no it's no something they have to address because there is a bit of a pattern emerging on it. And coming into the last, what, I mean, two, three minutes of the game, you still have your, your starting hooker and your, your starting loose head on the, the pitch as well. I mean, that's... That goes that's, back to the bench, Fiona, doesn't yeah. it? That, they, but, they, didn't, they didn't want to run the bench because usually that bench is running on to put the cherry on the cake. Yeah, and that, you know, and that that's the same against La Rochelle as well. They were reluctant to use the subs. You know. And that, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I understand. And sometimes you understand that if this guy coming on on capped. I mean, but you'd Keen Healy and you had Cronin on the bench who are well capable of uh, finishing out a game for you and could offer a lot more physicality. Like the guys that I mean, Dan Sheehan, maybe a couple of lines went straight, but he was absolutely everywhere in the pitch. He was like he threw his yeah. body. And Cronin is a. Cronin is a guy who can make a line break. Like he's lightning quick. Yep. He's, that's why he causes mayhem in a lot of games when he comes off the bench and fellas are tired. He skins guys inside and outside. You know? He's very much the definition of an impact player. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, but anyway, look, there's issues there they have to address. I think when they get into now, they're going to. I think next season is going to be tougher with the with the Bulls and stuff are going to be up and at it. Mm. But I still think they're Leinster aren't a bad team overnight. They just need to recalibrate what when they get to the. The knockout stage of the season, how they want to deal with those those challenges. Um, we are running out of time. Fiona, Eddie mentioned that there right at the very end that the South African teams are going to be even stronger mm-hmm. next season. So based on that, as much as anything else, how big of a missed opportunity has this been for Ulster? Oh, huge. I mean, I watched that game. It was a, it was an exciting game and I, I, I really felt if, if Ulster could have come through that they would have really performed at home in a final. How long has it been since they had a, a final up in Raven Hill? You know, it's it's been a long time. So look, it was a massive a missed opportunity, but that seems to be kind of the, the story of Ulster this season, isn't it? When it comes down to the crunch games, they're losing out by just like tiny little things. And I know over in South Africa, obviously that try was a, a, the allowed that shouldn't stand or whatever, but just... 
uh, even the two lose games, it's just tiny little things that are getting in the way of stopping them getting to that final, which they they planned for for the season. And they they played really really well against the um I suppose against the the team over in South Africa. But it's 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 a very hard place to go. And I think the Stormers playing backline attack rugby was just absolutely outstanding. I have to take my hats off to them. They're liable to do anything, but they're really really exciting to watch as well. And even their back row Evan Roos was just immense as well. Yeah, and Eddie, like I think that game was a perfect example of the fine margins between success and failure in the game. Oh yeah, I think like you know, there's no doubt that Ulster got tirely doors or two tries down, they didn't, you know, they're caught cold. But in fairness, they bounced back brilliantly and they got the ball to the outside challenge, and Balakoon was devastating. But the problem in the second half, I don't know why they were five points up. They got a really, really good boost at halftime. You know, they they. They got the big defensive stop towards just before the break. They did, and the the the, the Stormers tried to drop goal for some strange reason. Then they gave away two penalties in a row, and suddenly Cooney taps one over and they're in the break. It's all good at the moment. And they come out in the second half, and they just squandered. You see, they were behind. They were behind on the, the possession and the territory stats. I mean, they had very little territory. They had some forty percent territory. So in the second half, they had about did very few sorties into the the the, the Stormers half. And the ones they got, they threw them away. They kicked the ball away so many times in the second half. They made a fantastic line break from, from you know, um, they had a fantastic line break at one stage. I think it was Kuski early in the second half. And yeah, were, and it, was, it was a turnover and John Cooney put a kick down and they chased and got one line out. Well, it, it was a line break that McCluskey made from deep yeah. in about the 50th minute. And they were just, it was a, it was a 50 meter line break and he fed the ball inside to Billy Burns who gave it inside to Cooney. And for some strange reason, Cooney kicked the ball into the corner. And it looked like, oh, there's a line for us, but they lost the line I mean, he just held on to the ball. The Stormers were all over the place defensively. Now, it's a five-point game. So, like, let's make it a two-score game. Like, let's, even if we get a penalty here. And then they went to the corner. I, I would have, I, I hate saying this, because, again, you're saying, oh, you're playing Monday morning quarterback. But at that point, they were five-point lead. They had, a, they had a penalty that would have made it an eight-point game. And Cooney was kicking really well. He would have nailed it, I think. Nine times out of ten, they went to the corner and they got a bit of white line fever and and they turned the ball over. Uh, so that was a chance to make it a two two score game. And then even when they were against fourteen men at the end, um, they 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 threw a loose pass on the ground and they recovered it and they kicked the ball away. That was the seventy third minute. They never got the ball back really in in, in the in the in the, the stormers half. The last fifteen minutes was played in around the Ulster twenty two and eventually the damn burst. So I think what Ulster had it back, they would have backed themselves a little bit more. I mean, Stuart Moore kicked the ball out in the full early in the second half in an attacking position. You know, they they probably go we're five points up here, and they might have realised just if we win here, there's a final in, in Raven Hill next week. You know, they had Leinster having last night before, so they got ahead, and it was a low scoring game. They had very little possession and territory. They probably when they got into those attack positions need to back themselves more and hang on to the ball, but for some reason they kind of like let's stay out of our half and kick the ball away. And the, the recipe for them was to get the ball into the outside channels. I saw the damage they did early in the second half of Balakum. So I think if they had it back, they would have probably backed themselves more of it. And, and they had a penchant for giving away scores in the last 10 or 15 minutes of games. That's been kind of an Achilles heel all season. So I think there'd be huge remorse for being in a position to win the game. And again, you know, if they gave up that try with five minutes to go, but giving it up in the 85th minute, like or the 86th minute is shocking. To, it's shocking hard to take. But I think, yeah, they'll regret this because they had the, they were in a position where they could have won the game, and for some reason they didn't 
quite back themselves to keep the ball in hand. I think they had it back to they probably kept on held the ball a lot more, you know. B final thoughts very quickly. Who would who would you be backing this Saturday in the, the final Stormers or Bulls? I'd be going with the uh, Bulls, Neil, but it's going to be a sad day. There's no one going to be drinking out any trophies. So, I mean, what's this new trophy? No, you, can, you, you can. Apparently, that, that little thing opens up in the, the little, whatever. I don't even know what to call that kind of a <laughs> Okay, thing. okay. I take looking, it back, but so. <laughs> apparently, I, I did look into this. Apparently, there's you can take the lid off and there's part of it that you can fill up and have your... Have fair your enough, fair enough. Like, uh, <laughs> after, after the match. Eddie, who do you think is going to win this weekend? I think the Bulls because they've been out half. <laughs> it's cup rugby. They've been out half. I mean, the, the Stormers don't have an out half. I mean, um, so I think that's going to be a major factor. No, it's a final. Who knows? But I think if you had to put your family silver on, I think the Bulls are probably going to take it home. All right. Two predictions for the Bulls. Anyway, that game is half past six this Saturday evening. Uh, live on RT2 and RT Player as well. That's it for the RT Rugby podcast this week. Thanks again to Eddie and Fiona. And we'll speak to you all again soon. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.